Welcome to Wednesday Word, a Bible study led by Pastor John Jenkins of Northport Baptist Church. This morning, let's turn over to the book of Acts, and we'll go back to Acts chapter 9. I know we've been there a while, but we're going to continue here for a while, a few more weeks anyway. But Acts chapter 9, I've just told you it's for us in this room, probably the greatest book, greatest chapter anyway in all the Bible, because without Acts chapter 9, you and I wouldn't be sitting here this morning, because who we read about here is Saul in Acts chapter 9, but of course he becomes the Apostle Paul, and Paul was chosen by God to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, and we are Gentiles, so we needed the good news of Jesus Christ, and God appointed this man to do that, and it's very, very, very important Not only what God did in his life, but what we see in this chapter that he was going to continue to do, even to our day, almost 2,000 years later. Now, I'll tell you this, but I truly believe the book of Acts is the most exciting book in the Bible. And I know people will probably, probably disagree with that, but I don't care, but Acts is the most exciting book in the Bible. I know all of you loved when we talked about Revelation and you love knowing about what's going to happen in the future. But if you remember, when we talked about Revelation, one of the things I did a lot is I put just a timeline on a board so you could kind of flesh out and see what was going to happen biblically certain times and certain events and how they were going to shape out. So we talked about that a lot. But I want you to remember that timeline we put on the board. I'm not going to do it again, but just remember it because I did it a thousand times. But we had a huge portion of that timeline that we never talked about, if you remember. Because what we talked about is we basically started with the first coming of Jesus. So we talked about that. That was kind of our starting point. Okay, then we had the end point, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And of course, that's after a tribulation period. Okay, and we had that seven years of tribulation time and different things that's going to happen on this earth. And that's really all y'all cared about was that seven-year time period. That's what we talked all about through Matthew and Revelation and even the book of Daniel. That's all you cared about. But in the middle, there was a 2,000-year period timeline that's still happening that is not finished. And that 2,000-year period is where we're living right now. It's the church age, okay? It's the age of grace because it is God's grace for a people to hear the name Jesus so they can be saved, okay? So a lot bigger period of time, that 2,000-year, than that little seven-year period, right? But what did we focus on for three years? That, that little three-year or seven-year period of time, right? Well, I'm telling you, this time period's a lot more important. Number one, because you're living it. It's right now. And guess what book in the Bible corresponds to that most important time period in the history of the earth? It's Acts. Because this is what we're living right now, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is not a history book. It is not something that happened in the past. Now, did it happen in the past? Sure, because we're reading about an event that happened in the past. But guess what? It's happening today still. And you're going to see that in Acts chapter 9. But God also tells you a lot of things in the book of Acts that He's going to do even in the future. Because Acts 2.42, what's He going to do? In the last days, He's going to pour out His Spirit. And what's it going to be like? Just like it was in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. 
And he's going to pour out his spirit on the young and old. And we're going to have visions and see dreams. And we're going to see signs and wonders. And what do signs and wonders point to every single time? What do miracles point to? Jesus Christ. That is the only reason we have miracles. That's the only reason people are healed. That's why Preston was healed. Why? To point people to Jesus Christ. And if we don't use what God does miraculously to do that, then we are missing the mark. And every time you see a miracle in the book of Acts, guess what they do? Pooh, turn it to Jesus, right? What happens in Acts chapter 4? Right after Peter and John heal a lame man, what do they do? They see a crowd, they see their opportunity, and they preach to them, right? Guess what we're going to see happening in Paul's life right after he is healed and filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know the first thing he does? He preaches. He teaches. He tells people about who? Jesus Christ. And that's the book of Acts. But guess what? That's not just the book of Acts. That's your life. That's my life right now on this earth until Jesus Christ returns. That's it. And I want you to see it in the book of Acts. And I want you to see the Bible come together because I believe that's what the book of Acts does. And so today... We're going to see that. So you're going to have to have your flippers out. And I'm not talking about your TV flippers. You're going to have to have your Bible out. And we're going to do Bible drills today. Because we're going to look at several different places in the Bible to explain what happened to Paul and why it's so important. Okay? So let me just refresh your memory. If you don't remember, the beginning of Acts chapter 9, what we see here is a man named Saul who is, the Bible says, uttering threats against the church. And the word there is almost like a guttural growl. I mean, it's demonic, and he wants to kill people he doesn't even know. Now, does that not have to be demonic? I mean, of course it does. I mean, you might get mad enough to kill somebody in a certain situation, but are you going to kill somebody you don't even know? I mean, probably not. I hope not. I don't want to be around you. If you are, you can go somewhere else, but we just don't. We don't live like that. That's not who we are, right? I mean, so you just don't kill somebody you don't know. But what's Saul wanting to do? Kill people he don't even know. He's never met them. He's even traveling 140 miles away from his home to do it. Because he's going to a place called Damascus in Samaria to round them up. If he can't kill them, he's going to bring them back in chains. That's what he's going to do. So he, he's led by Satan. He's demonic. And so on his way to Damascus... He meets someone, and not just someone, he meets his Savior. Because the Bible says as he's on his way just outside of the city of Damascus, a bright light shines around him, and what happens? He hears a voice, and Jesus Christ speaks to him, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? It's not what he says. What does he say? Why are you persecuting me? Because when you persecute the church, who are you truly persecuting? Jesus. You're persecuting Jesus. And so, of course, Saul don't know what to do, and he cries out, Lord, Lord. And then he is struck with blindness, and he is helpless. And he's laying on the road, and there's some companions with him going to basically do what he was going to do and help him do it. But they have to pick him up off the road and lead him by the hand into the city where he goes to a house. And for three days and three nights, he stays in this house, and he doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. He is just waiting on a promise of the Lord, a promise of Jesus. And the promise of Jesus 
is for a man to come. And that man's name is Ananias. And Ananias is just minding his own business one day, and God speaks to him in a vision. And he says, Ananias, I got a job for you. And Ananias says, great, God, I can't wait. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. And he said, hey, there's a man named Saul, and I want you to go to him, and I want you to pray for him. The only problem with that is Ananias didn't want to do that because why was Saul coming to Damascus in the first place? To kill Ananias. Ananias was a leader of the Christian church. He knew who this dude was. And so Ananias says, but Lord, that might not be a good idea. So I've heard about this guy. And God says, do it. Do it. And so what does Ananias do? What God says. He does what God says. And so let's just look at what happens. So look at verse 17. So Ananias went, and he found Saul. And he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul? Now that's interesting. How does he know he's his brother? I mean, obviously Saul is a follower of Christ at this point, right? And we don't know exactly when Saul became a follower of Christ, if it was sometime during that three days he was fasting and praying. Yeah, I think he became a follower of Christ when he saw and met Jesus on the road to Damascus and called out Lord. That's when I think he became a believer in Jesus. But he's a believer in Jesus because Ananias basically tells us that. Saul, you're my brother in Christ. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now this is going to become utterly important for even the day in which we live. So that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now I understand that Paul was physically blind, right? He couldn't see. He had to be led into Damascus. He couldn't see anything. But he was also spiritually blind, right? I mean, before he met Jesus Christ, was he blind? Was he living in darkness? Utter darkness. I mean, he's, I believe he's demon-possessed. Okay? But you and I were the same way. We were blind. We were spiritually dark. And every person on this earth apart from Jesus Christ is. Right? But thank God the Apostle Paul regained his sight. And then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to see it's for a purpose. Just look at verse 18. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. Okay. Now, what were over Saul's eyes? Now, the Bible says something like scales. So, was it literally scales? No, but it was something like scales. Okay, what did those scales represent? I mean, are we just talking about a physical anomaly here? We don't know. I mean, more than likely they're not weight scales, but depending on your context, okay, just let's think about the Muslim world for a moment and 
a lot of the rest of the world, by the way, even some of the Christian world, you realize what kind of represents Islam is a weighted scale. And basically the way Allah looks at you is as a scale, and your life is a scale. And if your good outweighs the bad, guess what? Maybe you'll be okay, and maybe he'll let you into heaven. Maybe not. It's up to him, but maybe. That's what they think. They've got to do more good than bad. That's why they do all the things they do. But now what happens if it tilts the other way? You're in deep trouble, right? Well, how many Christians live their life the same way? How many people that aren't followers of Christ but maybe think they are live that same way? Well, I'm not as bad as she is. Ooh, thank God. I'm better. I'm good. I'm a pretty good person. I do good things in my life. I mean, I give money. I do this. I do that. I try to help people in need. Is that not how people try to save themselves? Of course it is. So that's a weighted scale. I don't think that's what it's talking about here. It's. I think it's more of a figurative like scales, something that makes you blind. And here's why I say that because it's what the Bible teaches all the way through. And every miracle in the Bible is not just a miracle basically from a physical perspective. Okay, let's go back to Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John heal the lame man. Okay, did they heal the lame man? Yeah, I mean, miraculously, it's incredible. But what is that lame man a parable of spiritually? Okay, here's a man that goes to church every day of his life. That's where he is. He's at the temple every day of his life, right? That's where he goes. Okay, could this man help himself? He was completely helpless. Each day, somebody had to bring him and set him there, right? He's completely helpless. Okay, could the church help this man? Could religion, could Judaism... Could they help him? 40 years of his life, what did he do? He went to the church every day of his life to beg for money. Did the church help him? Eh, no, they did not. Religion can't help you. Okay? He is utterly helpless. He can't help himself, and no one else can help him until someone does what? Speaks a name. Right? That's what Peter and John do. Silver and gold I have none. But in what? In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, stand up and walk. Because where is their power? In a name, Jesus. And so did Jesus allow and heal this man so he could stand up and walk? Oh, he did. But much more than that, what did he do for this man? He saved his soul. Because what is the first thing this man did? He jumped up and he started praising Peter and John. Peter and John, you are the greatest people on this earth. And they started hugging him. Is that what the man did? No, he praised the Lord, right? Because who healed him? Jesus Christ healed this man. Not two men named Peter and John. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene stand up and walk. And so people came flooding. Wasn't that the guy that was lame? Wasn't that the guy that we've seen at the beautiful gate every day of our life when we come to the church? It's a parable of salvation, is it not? Okay, so every miracle in the Bible is a parable plus a physical miracle. What do you think the Apostle Paul is? Well, it's a physical miracle. He was blind and now he sees. But it's not physical, it's spiritual. Paul was living where? In utter darkness complete and utter darkness. And now, 
what does he do? Scales fell from his eyes, and he sees, right? Okay, you're going to find out, I hope, that this is pretty important biblical principle. You think? Okay, well, let me show you. So get your flippers out and turn to Genesis 1. Okay, that one ought to be easy. Okay. I ain't telling you, David. Find it. Okay. I just want you to see a theme throughout the Bible. And guess where we're going to start? In the beginning, literally, right? That's the way Genesis 1-1 starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just keep going. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered all the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Now, what covered the earth? Okay. Now, was this a physical darkness? At the time, yes, right? Okay, but what do you think this represents? you got to look at it both ways. You can't just look at the physical. Biblically, we're looking at the spiritual, right? That's what we're looking at, okay? So this is what God said, verse 3. Let there be light, and what was there? Because God said it. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated, it's going to be important later, he separated the light from the darkness, God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Okay, you got that? You remember that? Hang on to that. Okay, now turn to John 1. Okay, John 1, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about creation here. We're talking about the beginning, but we're talking about much more right? I hope you know that. We're talking about much more than the beginning of creation. So John 1, 1, listen to what the Bible says. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if you know the book of John, John chapter 1, who is the Word? Okay, we know that later on. We're not going to read it, but down verse 14, it says the Word became what? flesh. And who became flesh? Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man. Okay, that's Jesus Christ. We're talking about the Word here is Jesus Christ. And He, talking about Jesus, verse 2, He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. So who created the world? Jesus spoke the Word, right? Word's pretty important to God. Why do you think the name Jesus being spoken is so important? Because the word, the spoken word is important to God. Verse 4, the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought what? Light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Okay. Now, can darkness ever extinguish Jesus? Can it ever put out the light? Nope. But what can it do? What did scales do on Paul's eyes? It can cover, it can hide it, right? 
What do you do at night if you have a bright light shining outside your window and you want to go to sleep? What do you try to do? You got curtains, you got shades, you got shutters, you got something. You're trying to keep the light out, right? I do. I hate light. I want to pitch dark when I sleep. I hate light. Okay, I want to be able to sleep in darkness. But I can cover it, right? Okay, there's ways to cover it. Okay, what do you think happens on this earth to unbelievers? Is the light of Jesus Christ covered? Sure it is. Turn over to John 8. Keep going in John. Look at John 8. Great chapter in the Bible. Because John chapter 8 starts out, and it starts out with Jesus being confronted by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the council that later condemns him to die. And the reason this is so important is because Jerusalem is filled with people. Because John chapter 8 takes place during one of the feasts. Every year there's three feasts, and we always talk about and know about the Passover festival or feast, right? That's the primary one. But there's three that Jews would come to Jerusalem every year to celebrate. One of them is the Feast of the Tabernacle. Okay, that's what's taking place here in John chapter 8. And do you know what they celebrate during the Feast of the Tabernacle? Light, by the way, light, okay? And that's what they're celebrating. And we can talk more about that and talk about what's happening with the candelabra and everything inside the temple. But just let me tell you the story. Okay, so the Pharisees, Sadducees, think they're going to trick Jesus. So these dudes know about a woman in Jerusalem. And we don't know her really, except we know her as a woman caught in the act of adultery. That's the only way we know her. But these guys know her too. Now, why do you think they know her? They might have been there. I'm not going to say it, but probably. I mean, they know her reputation, right? She's a woman of the night, evidently. Okay, so she has a reputation. And so they evidently know where she's going to be, or they set her up to be somewhere with some one, right? Because what do they do? They go jerk her out of bed, and they bring her to Jesus Christ And guess when they bring her to him? Before daybreak, before the sun comes up. Okay, it's going to be important in just a minute. But they bring her to Jesus Christ before daybreak. Okay, they throw this woman at his feet. Now, where's the dude? Was he committing adultery? Yeah, he was committing adultery too, but I think they set the woman up. I mean, how else are they going to know all this? They're not going to know, right? I hope they wouldn't, but they might. Who knows? But they they set her up. Okay, they caught this woman, the act of adultery, throw her at the feet of Jesus, and then they try to trick Jesus. And they start talking about the law of Moses, like Jesus doesn't know the law of Moses. But they start talking about the law of Moses and say, law of Moses said she should die. They should stone her. And then they just ask Jesus Christ a question, what say you? Okay, so what does Jesus Christ do? Does he begin to stand up and preach? What does he do? He stoops down and he starts writing in the dirt. Now, how does he write in the dirt? Does he take a stick? Does he take a rock? How does he write in the dirt? Now, this is very important. Very, 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 very important. He takes a finger 
and starts writing in the dirt. Now, all my life, I heard preachers try to come up with what he wrote in the dirt. Well, he's writing the name of them Pharisees in the dirt, or he's doing this. No, he's not, okay? Okay, to understand the text of this scripture, you got to go back Old Testament, and you got to go back to when the law of Moses was even given. Because who gave the law of Moses in the first place? Who is the word of God? What is the law of Moses? Is it not words written on what? A tablet. Okay, stone tablets. And how were they written on that sucker? By the finger of God, right? So what is Jesus Christ saying? Not literally. Well, he's not speaking it. What is he saying when he writes in the dirt with his finger when these dudes are asking him about the law of Moses? He's saying, you idiots, I'm the one that gave the law of Moses. That's what he's saying. They would have caught this because what did he claim to be? The son of God, the living God. That's who Jesus Christ was. And so they're furious at this point. I mean, who is this guy claiming to be the giver of the law? But I want you to think back when Moses received the law, he came down off of that mountain. And what did the people see when he came down off that mountain? They saw a light, right? He radiated the light of who? God, the presence of God. He radiated light, right? Okay. And he came down with those tablets that who wrote? Jesus, the word of God. And he's telling them this right now. Here he goes. Okay, then he stands up with his woman still at his feet. And of course says what we all have heard all our life. You can stone her, but whoever's going to throw the first stone, you better make sure you ain't got no sin. And what happens? What do the guys do? They start dropping the rocks. They have in their hands ready to stone her, and they walk away. Now, this is important, too. You probably don't hear about this a lot, but, okay, Jesus, the Bible there says specifically, Jesus says, where are your who, What? Okay, now who is our accuser? Go read Revelation, Revelation 12. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of brothers and sisters in Christ. And when does he do it? How does he do it? Day and night before God, he's accusing. He's accusing us. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? And what happens when Jesus Christ speaks? The accusers must leave, correct? Guess what spiritually they have to do in our life as well? What happens when Jesus Christ speaks? The accusers of brothers and sisters, Satan, the one accusing us day and night before the throne of God, he's out of there, and he can't accuse us. Why? Because we're covered by the blood of the Lamb. And now when God looks upon us, he doesn't look upon us as sinful people. He sees us as who? His own son, Jesus Christ. Right? Okay, this story is incredible, but let's get to the point of the story I want you to see. Okay? I want you to see what happens next. Of course, Jesus says to the lady, they don't condemn you, neither do I. And then he says, go and what? Sin no more. Okay, I saved you, but go and live the life that I'm allowing you through the Holy Spirit to live. Don't sin anymore. Right? That's what he says. But now look at the next verse. Verse 12 now, remember, I told you they brought this lady to Jesus right before daybreak, right before sunup, and all this happened right at that moment. And now, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, Jerusalem sets kind of up high on a peak, 
And guess what happens if you're setting up high and the sun starts to come up? It's a pretty sight. And this is when Jesus spoke this. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have light that leads to life. Now, what what you walk anymore in? Darkness. What was the Apostle Paul living in? Now he has seen what? The light. Now scales have fallen from his eyes, and he has what? Light. Now, we don't have time to go back to this, but do you remember what Jesus Christ says about the eye being the what? The lamp. The lamp. And what are you to let into your body? He says it's the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Go read it, Matthew. You let light in, okay? Eyes are important biblically because they're important spiritually because they want you to see Jesus. Okay, now here's a great question for you. God, I'm going to be out of time. Here's a great question for you. Why do people walk in darkness? Okay, there's two reasons. And guess who tells us these reasons? The Apostle Paul, by the way. Why? Because he knows these reasons. Okay, if you... They do. But why? It's important. 2 Corinthians 4.4. Okay, we won't turn there. Just let me read it to you. But this is what it says. Paul writes this. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has what? Blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Okay, so does Satan blind? Does he cover? Does he hide the light of Jesus? Of course he does. Okay, but here's the point of the Bible. He doesn't have to work very hard to do that. You know why? Because we do it to ourselves. Okay. Okay, I don't know. If you're still in the book of John, turn to John 12. John 12. That should be an easy one to find. But I want you to read some, I want you to see some words of Jesus. Are you there? Okay, look at verse 35. Okay, now this is right after Jesus is talking and predicting his death on the cross. Verse 35, Jesus replied, My light will shine for you just a little while longer. While you walk in the light, Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Okay, now, what do you think a little while longer is here? Is this while he's on this earth, and he's going to be crucified, then he's going to heaven? Is that what he means? No. He's talking about where we're living right now. He's talking about the book of Acts. He's talking about the age of grace, the church age. His light is on this earth right now. Now, when he comes back, and raptures the church, is his light going to be here any longer? Because who is the light? We are. What does he say in Matthew 5? You are the light of the world. Now, John 80 says what? I'm the light of the world, and he is, but what are we? We're reflections of that light, and who is left on this earth 
to shine the light of Jesus Christ a little while longer. You and me, right? You and me, you and me. That's what we're to do. That's the book of Acts. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they're going. Could Paul see where he's going? Nope, couldn't have a clue. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of light. Now look at verse 37. But despite all the miraculous signs, what's a miracle again? It's a sign, right? Despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet predicted. Okay, this is important. Okay, this is out of the book of Isaiah. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe because Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they cannot see and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. So who has blinded people? Is it Satan? Okay, now, this is where people go astray right here. Big time, biblically. Big time, big time, big time, biblically. Okay, because they'll use passages like this, and they'll say, and use biblical language to do it, the Lord chose who he will reveal light to, and who he will keep in dark. Okay, the God chose that. Basically stating that before the foundation of the earth, you have no chance believing in Jesus. You're either chosen, you're either elect, or you're done. You're going to hell. And that's a very prominent theology being preached in most of our Baptist churches now because our seminaries are teaching it, okay? Very prominent. Okay, is there language, biblical language, that talks about chosen and talks about the elect? Of course there is, and it's all over the Bible. Now, do I believe God knew before the foundation of this earth if John Jenkins was going to be a follower of Jesus Christ or not? I believe that with all my heart because he is God. He's providential. He sees before. He knows everything. Now, does that mean God said, I like John. I want him to be a Christian. Choose him. I don't like David. He's gone. God didn't say that. God is not that way. Who is God? What is his heart? His heart, and he is being patient about sending Jesus Christ back to this earth, and he is being patient for one reason, because he wants everyone to come to repentance and no one to be destroyed. That's what he says. That's the heart of God right there. Okay? But right here it says, but God has blinded them. Okay? Now it does make it sound like God did it. He let John see and David stay in blindness and darkness. That's not what this is saying. Okay, and to show you, turn to Romans 1. You've got to understand the whole counsel of Scripture. You can't pick and choose verses you like and don't like. Okay, who wrote Romans 1? Who was living in darkness? Who saw the light? Okay, very important. Okay. Now, I want you to see how and why people are blind and why God does it. Romans 1, you there? Okay, we could stay on Romans 1 forever, especially the day we live. But look at verse 18. Just let me read a few verses. 
But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, how do they suppress the truth of God? By their own heart, their wicked heart, right? Okay, verse 19. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to him. How did he do it? Verse 20. For ever since the world was created, what did we read? Genesis 1, John 1, we read about the creation of the world. And what happened at the beginning of creation? There's light, right? So ever since the beginning of creation, ever since God filled this world with light, people have seen the earth, the sky, through everything God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And look at why, what happens. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, what happened to their minds? Their mind became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools. Why? And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals. So why are people blind? Why are their minds dark? Because they've turned away from God, correct? And so in turn, what does God do? Verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created rather than the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. One more time. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. If you keep reading, he says that again. So when we darken our hearts and our minds because we turn away from Jesus Christ, what does God do? He lets you go. He just simply lets you have what you want and what you desire, right? Okay, that's the judgment of God right there. And if you want to know why this world is so horrible right now, especially the context in which we live, and why people are doing vile and degrading things with each other's bodies and all the garbage you see, and they're trying to teach our kids to do the same, do you know what Romans 1 says? They teach others to do them too. The shameful things. It's Rome. We're living in Romans 1. And God has abandoned us to ourselves, and we're getting everything we want and desire. And everything you see is coming out of the wickedness of our heart. Satan ain't got to do nothing. He just lets us go because God has let us go. But here is the wonderful thing about God. Why does he do that? Why does he abandon us? Why does he give us what our heart desires rather than his desire for us? Because it's redemptive. He's redemptive, and He wants you to be saved, and He wants you to be just like the Apostle Paul and see the light. Now, how is it possible? Only one way. The prodigal son does what? He did, but he gets what his heart desired, right? Does his father not give him what his heart desires? Hey, Dad, 
I wish you were dead, but since you're not dead, give me my inheritance before you die. Is that not what he says? That's exactly what he says to his dad. And if I was his dad, I'd have slapped him across the face. But his dad, for whatever reason, because in the story, his dad's who? God. His dad's God. His dad gave him the money, gave him the inheritance. He got what his heart desired. And where did he go? To the distant land. What do you think distant land represents? Darkness is what it represents. The distant land. And he lives in sinfulness, whatever his heart desires. But eventually, what happens? He comes to the end of himself. He runs out of his money. He ain't got none of that inheritance left. The blessings of his father were gone. And he's eating pig slop. And the Bible says he comes to his senses. And what does he do? He turns and walks back home. What do you think repentance is? It's a turning. It's a walking back to the father. Okay, would that young man have ever had that experience unless his father abandoned him? Nope. Would he have ever been who he was called to be and chosen to be a son of that father unless he'd have went to the distant land and lived in darkness and come to the end of himself with zero hope, zero hope, except returning to his father? Wasn't going to happen any other way, was it? You're the same way, I'm the same way, right? That's who we are. The story of the prodigal son is our story. Because God let us go in hopes that we would return. Through what? Repentance. Because that's the only way. You must repent and turn back to your father. And that's the story of the Bible. Right there, it's the story of the Bible. It's the story of the Apostle Paul. It's the story of you. It's the story of me. It's the story of the church age we're living in right now. You and I are the light of the world to go tell people that story so that they won't live in darkness, so they can live in light. And guess what? The only way they're going to know it is if you and I tell them. It's the only way they're going to know it. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me. Okay, I'm done because I'm out of time, but just real quick. Okay. I talked about two important things there. The Apostle Paul, not only did he see the light and the skills were gone, what else happened to him when Ananias laid hands on him? He was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay. Why are you and I filled with the Holy Spirit of God and with power? One primary reason. Why do you think Jesus Christ was filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with power? If you don't believe it, go read Luke 4.14. It says... Jesus Christ came out of the wilderness, out of the desert, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Guess what the first thing he ever did was when he was filled with the Holy Spirit? Did he go heal someone? You're healed in Jesus' name. He didn't do that. You know what the first thing he did? I'm not going to read it, but go read it. He went to the synagogue, and what did he do? He preached. Acts 2, the church is filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. What's the first thing they did? Acts 4, go read verse 8. Peter, right after the story in Acts chapter 3 where he heals the guy, they're arrested. And the Bible says in verse 4, 8 that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He preaches. What do you think the Apostle Paul does? Well, you might want to look at it. Okay. Look there at verse, the end of verse 19. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, what did he do? Immediately, he began to go heal people and tell them that you can receive healing in Jesus' name like me. If you were blind, you can see. No, 
he began what? Preaching about who? Jesus in the synagogue saying, indeed, he was the son of God. One more, just listen to it. Okay, I read you John 1 a minute ago about the light, Jesus Christ being the light. Verse 6, listen to this. God sent a man named John the Baptist to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell others about the light. It's a pretty good description of any believer on this earth, is it not? He was simply a witness. Jesus Christ says in Acts 1-8, what? I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And He's coming in power. And when He comes, what will you be? A witness. You will be my witnesses telling about me everywhere. Even to the ends of the earth. Why do you have the Holy Spirit? Why do you have power? So that people can know light. So they can hear about Jesus. So they can be saved just like the Apostle Paul. And then in the end, one more verse. I know I'm way late. I don't care. Okay, one more verse. Just listen to it. Just listen to it. Because I want you to see the whole Bible come together. So that in the end, they can be in this place with us. Revelation 21. The Apostle John says, I saw the temple... And there was no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of God. And the city has no need for a sun or a moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is the light. Verse 24. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Okay, now who's going to come to this city? Nations. Kings. Do you remember the first verse I ever prayed over this church and prayed over you as your pastor seven years ago? That of Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Do you know what it says? Arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord is upon you. Soon Darkness as black as night will cover all the corners of the earth. Arise and shine. Nations will come to your light and kings to see its radiance. So what are we? John the Baptist. We ain't the light, but we tell people about it. So that they can see the light. So that one day... They will be with us in a place called heaven. And the nations will come and the kings will see its radiance. Because we simply do what we're called to do, just like the Apostle Paul did. And you know what we're to do? Immediately go and preach. That's what we're to do. That's what God's word says, right? If you don't see that, I don't have hope for you because I showed it multiple places in the Bible. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why we're on this earth. So that people can go from darkness to light. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next week as Pastor John continues the study. And if you're looking for more, find us at northportbaptist.org.